0: You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you wanna stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferentz.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progression Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferrance and this is episode number 89. This week, I chat with producer, songwriter, and mixer, John Velasquez. We get into what skills make a producer irreplaceable in the room, how his time in a band shaped his approach to making records, why creating your own sounds and samples ages way better than using presets and splice loops, how to create a safe space for artists to be authentic in, And when he learned that the best way to collaborate is to never try to satisfy your own needs or ego. So stick around for all that and so much more coming right at you. You've been told that making a music is all about your network and that if you can just make the right connections, then your career will take off. But what you haven't been told is that you don't have to make those connections because you've already got them. Today, I want to chat about why networking is more about time than it is about people. So let's lay out a scenario here that we've probably all been in. You're at an industry event with a stack of business cards, and you're determined to meet the people that are going to change your life. You spend the whole night dropping your elevator pitch on complete strangers and lurking in the orbit of successful people you recognize, and hope for an opportunity to jump in and tell them about your music or your work. Ultimately, you leave the event exhausted and a bit defeated, convinced that nobody will let you into their circle or give you a single opportunity. What you don't realize, though, is that you were probably one of the few people there that were actually talking about work. If you were flying the wall and could hear the conversations that you were interrupting with your business cards, you'd probably hear a lot of stuff like, remember freshman year of college when... Or, How was your daughter's first birthday party? Or remember the first record we did with so-and-so? All these people that you are convinced are keeping you on the outside of the circle are just friends hanging out. They aren't conspiring to keep you out of the industry. They're just doing what they've done since they started out as interns or met on the first day of class. This is what no one tells you about networking. Real networking is making friends and relationships, not cold emails and business cards. Opportunity in this industry takes time to develop. It's a bit of a rising tide. A crop of new people start out cutting their teeth, barely scraping by to pay rent. They all go through the hard stuff together and they all slowly break through together. They know each other, they trust each other, and they all in turn elevate each other. Think about what you say when someone asks you to recommend somebody for something. You don't say, the best drummer in town is Jim, go to his website and hit him up. You say, my friend Steve would be perfect for this, I will connect you guys. Why? Because you know and trust Steve and you want to see Steve win as much as he wants to see you win. The reality is that this industry is about friendships. They might be formed growing up or in school, they might be formed at the office water cooler or making a record together for weeks on end. Regardless of how it happens, these friendships are the basis of your network and the connections that will actually help your career. Remember, this industry revolves around trust and there are few people that you trust more than your friends. So next time you're frustrated and feel that you're being left on the outside of the circle, look around at the people you're starting this journey out with. The people you're grabbing beers with or having over for dinner. These are the people that are going to make up real career spanning connections for you. One day, decades down the line, after interns become hit producers and admin assistants become record execs, you'll all just be friends at a Grammy party reminiscing about the early days while the new kids in town run around trying to figure it all out. So next time you're frustrated by networking, just remember making music with your friends is way more fun. Today's guest is producer, songwriter, and mixer John Velasquez. Based out of Los Angeles, John started his career as a member of Max and the Moon, an alternative rock band that was signed to Cherry Tree Records, where they were label mates with artists such as Robin, Sting, and Disclosures. Not too bad. And since stepping out of the artist spotlight and focusing on production work, John has worked with Zella Day, Lindsey Black, Ella Voss, and most recently, Vacations. He's super talented and a great hang, so welcome to the show, John Velasquez. What's
1: up, man? How are you? Thanks for having me. I feel like, I was saying earlier, we have conversations every day, and now it's like, whoa, we're recording it, and oh, don't say something stupid. I almost cussed right now. That's fine. That's fair game. Yeah. Yeah. For
0: anybody who's just listening, this is the first ever Progressions in-person interview. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous. (laughs) I'm honored. (laughs) Dude, so we've known each other for a long time. We first met, I don't know, it was like eight years ago.
1: Something like that? Yeah.
0: I was engineering your band's, one of your band's EPs. Cameron Lister was producing. Yeah. I didn't get to mix that project, but that's something we can talk about later.
1: It was the Max and the Moon stuff, and we did it at your place in North Hollywood. And it was was wonderful. It was, like, such a nice experience. And it's funny, I never talked to you about how much I learned from your guys' temperament and the way that you guys would approach things. And from just working with a lot of different producers... Just picking up the things where it's like, oh, that's a really good hang. Like, you and Cameron were always a really easy hang. I appreciate that. I mean, it's like, if it's not fun, then, what, like, why are you making music? You can work a desk job, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I make a lot more money as an accountant. Or, like, I went to business school, so I think I would have made more money. <laughs> but I, sh- I shouldn't say that.
0: Well, I'm definitely going gonna, gonna to bug you about your business school coming into uh, play with your music career, but despite the fact that we've known each other for a while, I basically don't know anything about how you got into music. So before we side tangent all over the place, how did you start making music?
1: Oh, wow. I didn't know we haven't talked about this. I started making music when I was 14 or 15. I bought my first American Telecaster from Guitar Center. I wanted to be in the worship band. And I was just like, man, I want to play octaves, and I want to be so cool. And it was actually like a really great place to start. And I was so thankful for it. I, I'm i no longer as religious as I was. I'm not <laughs> religious anymore. You know, when you go to college and grow up doing art and work with all these open-minded people, it really changes you. Oh, yeah. But that's how I started. And the journey was the journey was great. Do you want me to go in more detail? Like, I was going
0: to just throw out there that uh, I feel like so many talented musicians have some tie to church. I feel like it's a really good place to start to learn an instrument and start to learn to like collaborate with people. I never played any in any church bands. Well, you
1: have to start putting yourself second. And you're not first in a church band. And as I went throughout my musical career... And my journey, I was always learning how to put my ego second mm. and think about the bigger picture of stuff. So even just following it really quickly, it's like I started in the church band. And then after that, I was in a band with two singers, which was so fun. But also, wow, the conversations and the things we would debate and argue about were so funny, like stage positioning, like who's the who's in the front? Are we evenly in the front? <laughs> Is somebody in the middle? Yeah. We put the bass player in the middle for one show because we were like, okay, we were just like, we were going at it too much. And we're like, fine, let's put Zach in the middle and we'll go on the sides. <laughs> and you know, Zach, Zach's so sweet. And he's just like, okay. So after putting myself first in certain places, then I started teaching private music lessons before I became a producer. And just learning how to collaborate and not think about like satisfying my own needs and ego and putting more emphasis on what are we trying to create and what's the end goal and how does that make me feel when the other person on the other side is actually smiling at the end of the day? Yeah. Not that I got my way. And I think it really started with the church band. And I'm not giving all the credit to religion. (laughs) But, you know, just how do you put your ego second? Yeah, that's actually a really...
0: uh, We'll take our first tangent here. That sounds like something that every producer should probably think about. Because there's. I've definitely seen producers, you know, kind of want to control the room. And I've seen artists shy away from that when the producer's like, let me play this part, let me play that part, let me play this instrument. And especially when the artist maybe plays guitar and the producers playing a lot of guitar. So, I mean, obviously that's how you are. Cause you came up that way. Yeah. Do you actively think about that kind of stuff when you're doing production or do you feel like that? It just happens.
1: I have a lot of check-in conversations with artists and I also have check-in conversations with myself, whether that's being with a friend or a partner or even just another musician or producer I've tried to grow my community so I could look back and be like, okay, was I actually servicing the art? Mm. Where were my emotions throughout that session? Yeah. So always just trying to communicate and be aware of it. Yeah. Communication, definitely
0: key. You know, we were talking about this the other day. Yeah.
1: Especially, I think, when people are working remotely. Do you do much remote production collaboration? So the pandemic opened up that whole world. And somehow I worked with like four or five people from Australia. And then I met Campbell Burns, the lead singer of Vacations through Instagram. And we had two sessions in person and they went great. And then we're to start working on the Vacations record. And we, he lives in Australia and I live in Los Angeles. So we started collaborating over Zoom on the first two singles. Okay. Yeah. Did you do you feel like there was any communication barriers because you were remote? You know, Camel's a great communicator. So there wasn't any communication barriers, and it was actually really great to filter our relationship at first, that mm. we were doing it in, like, a timely manner, and we had parameters. But now that we know we create well together— We just are like, yeah, the Zoom thing doesn't work now that we've been in person. Like, we can do it, but we have so much more fun being in person.
0: So I feel like my experience, because I do mostly remote mixing. I mean, very rarely do people come to the studio. I don't know why. Everybody just likes to stay home. I find that people can be kind of, I don't want shy is the wrong word, but they're, they're not as open. You know, like when you're in a room with people, you can kind of get to the bottom of what someone wants or doesn't want pretty quickly. And I think even like a FaceTime or a Zoom mixed with emails and text messages, it's like really easy to kind of mislead people or misguide people on what you want or misunderstand people. So I was just curious if you'd run into any of that, but obviously not with uh, with vacations.
1: Not with vacations. And I'm trying to think of other remote projects. So in the beginning or I'm not beginning, maybe even two or three years ago when I wasn't as familiar with this process of working online, I would run into it a little bit more. Yeah. But everybody's a really, a lot of people I work with are really good communicators. And some of the people, they really don't need me. So just knowing that, going back to the ego thing, they could make a good record without me. Yeah. So putting that in the forefront of my mind and then thinking, okay, So what am I there for? So I'm there to make good decisions with them, be a sounding board, help build their confidence so they feel like they're the strongest fucking person and they can try anything. Yeah. And I'm also there to make mistakes. One of the biggest things for me is like, I want to be the first person in the room to say the stupid thing. I want to be the first person in the room to come up with a bad line. And I know this sounds really weird, but why not? Like, I have the confidence that I can make really cool stuff. I just want to make the people I'm working with feel comfortable. Yeah. And truly comfortable. So I have to do something that I'm a little uncomfortable with and get used to that. Yeah. Nothing creates a safe
0: space as much as being willing and open to throw out an idea maybe he's going to be great or maybe he's going to be a disaster. You know, it's like one of those like borderline ones where you're like, yeah, cause then they see that they're like, well, he's, he's comfortable going for it. Like I'm going to go for it too. You know, I think that's, yeah, that's like a silent lead. You know, you're like leading people forward. Like, all right, it's cool to, you know, fuck
1: something up every once in a while. Everything's fine. We're just going to let it happen. And I'll ask you, like how many times has someone said, this may be a stupid idea or like, you laugh at the idea. It's a laughable idea, and the room just busts up. That's when I'm like, oh, I know we just broke the ice, and we're probably going to be onto to a reiteration of that idea, and we'll make up something really cool. Yeah. Because now we're not just
0: going through the steps. No. I mean, every idea comes from somewhere, too, and it's like that initial spark might be hilarious or like you know laughable or whatever it is, but I've definitely seen, I can't remember... I've seen somebody throw out a weird lyric. It was a writing session on a song that never came out that I wish I could talk about, but I can't. Throw out a weird, just an absolutely bizarre lyric, which definitely influenced the entire verse lyric. And he kind of threw it out there as a, this is kind of funny and we're all working together for the first time. And it actually turned into like, I really like that. That's different. You know, and you're like, okay, all right, this is the party that we're at. Okay, I get it. But that session started with the artist sitting down and saying. No stupid ideas. I want to hear everything. Yeah. And, you know, and then my buddy testing that with what he thought was a stupid
1: idea that's now like, you know, a main line. <laughs> and, and then now he's like, he tells all his friends, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, that 15% writing credit. Like, yeah, God, I, I got that. That, that chorus line. <laughs> and they're like, you're a genius. It's like, I was being a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean,
0: hey, that's why we're here. We're having fun, right? Yeah. I do want to go back a little bit because I think, that you've probably had some experiences playing in a band that I think a lot of artists and musicians can resonate with or take some advice from if you're willing to go back and talk about Max and the Moon a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
1: whatever you want to talk about.
0: I feel like when we were working together, you seemed to have some hype going on. You, I know you were playing a lot of shows in LA. Do you have any advice to people about like building an organic, real following? Because I feel like, especially these days, people are paying for playlisting. They're maybe not playing shows. I know you guys were playing a lot of shows. What got that momentum going for for you guys?
1: Oh Well, the music climate is completely different yes, now. Yes, it is. Blogs were a big thing. Being featured was a big thing. So what I would go back to, because this is a conversation I have almost daily with some of the artists that I work with that are more developing. Yeah. Because I work on like half label stuff, half artists I'm really passionate about. And I tell them, at the end of the day, I want you to be fulfilled and I want you to put a version out of yourself and encourage you to put a version out of yourself that you're proud of. So whatever you're doing, use that as your guiding light. So on TikTok, if there's trends that you don't like, don't make videos about those trends just because they're big. Because at the end of the day, I remember connecting at shows with people and someone coming up. And saying, oh, that song you wrote about blah, blah, blah was just like powerful. And like, I listened to it and I cried about my ex and I'm like, well, I wrote it about my ex and we had a wild relationship. Yeah. So I guess I would give different advice to everybody, but I would just say, always just follow your path and stay in your lane and trends are gonna go. And same thing with like samples and sonics, (laughs) the more that you make your stuff, And that you're making it and not using a sample pack and other things, the better it's going to age. If you look at, like, David Bowie, and if you look at, like, Nick Drake, and some of these people that were just prolific in their time, they were just doing them. Yep, for sure. you just have to
0: do you. Yeah, I firmly believe that. It's like if you especially with the internet now, like if you put out something that is authentically you and you believe in, it's going to find an audience now that the whole world has access to everything. Might not be the biggest audience in the world, but you'll find your people that really resonate with you. And something that you said that I think is really interesting is I never really thought about it, but you're right. The more you create everything, the more it is you. Yeah. Even if you're using an 808, right? It's what you're doing to that 808 on the way into the computer or during the mix that's making it you. But if you're just grabbing the same splice snare that is popular and not modifying it to make it feel like yourself, not to knock a good splice snare like Oh yeah. A good splice snare fits in its place perfectly. But I guess the point of my little ramble here is that the more you create everything from scratch, it has to age well because it is you. You know, it's it can never be outdated because you made it.
1: Well, and with that, like I think sometimes it could feel isolating when you're doing it all on your own. So when you're creating what is you and you're putting your fingerprint on everything, making sure you have a tribe of people around you that support you. Mm. My friend, Dan Bailey, he plays in a band. Oh, he plays in a band. I think a lot of people know father, John Misty, and he's a musical director and he plays drums on tons of the stuff I produce. And he's incredible. He talks so much about having a tribe and you were asking what advice I would give to a band or artist coming up in LA. I would give the advice that I've seen Dan Bailey give. I would say build a tribe. You're not going to infiltrate the Grammy winners right now. You're not going to be a part of like, you know, the people that have like 20 million plays on, on Spotify. You're not going to just jump into that. You're going to grow with your tribe. And it's so much more fulfilling when you see your friend succeeding and you see your friend going through the same troubles that you are. Yeah. And you can have a real conversation. And we have real conversations all the time about this. So, yeah, building a tribe and just you doing yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's something that pretty much every guest resonates in some degree is that, like, it's your network of people that you start this industry with, whether you're an A&R person or you're a music producer. It's like those people all grow and change and come up together and they've been doing it for 15 years they want to keep working with each other and everybody kind of wins together yeah you know which is kind of the only the only way people get to the
1: top in this business really yeah cuz if you think you're going to burn bridges and get to the top like nobody's going to hire you nobody's going to trust you your manager is going to drop you i really truly believe a lot of people are not motivated by money in this industry, I believe that too. Yeah. At least the people I want to work with.
0: Yeah. But I think the people whose motivation isn't money ultimately probably end up potentially making more money. Well, because and they make something my, that resonates.
1: Kelly <laughs> Musgrave is my manager, and also uh, Chris Moore is our assistant day to day that does amazing work with me. Kelly it was just like you have to be poor for a while and she told me this like a year and a half ago and I was like oh I was like frustrated on the phone with her I didn't tell her this so if she watches this back she'll know
0: but it's it was coming out
1: it was really funny but also true because she's like you need to chase the art I'll figure out the money and she has people like Bob Clearmountain she has Colin Britton she has Chris Cody on her management, like all who, some of them are becoming my friends, like Danny Riche. So I was like, okay, you're doing something right. And you've been doing this longer than I've been living. So sorry to call you out, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just chasing the art and then the the money comes. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's why we all started. It's why when you're a kid, you pick up a guitar or you sit down at a piano. Cause it's like, I, there's an emotion. It's fun. It's enjoyable. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. It's when your passion becomes what pays your bills that I think breaks a lot of people. Did you ever run into that? Like when you were trying to do the band and now you're doing production, like are there ever moments where it feels like work and that's frustrating to you? Because my experience is music school, right? Lots of kids show up at Berkeley first year, best guitar player, or drummer or whatever in their whole city, right? <laughs> yeah. Then they're the worst and they have to practice. And all of a sudden the thing that they loved is too much work and they drop out. Extremely high first year dropout rate because of kind of what I'm talking about, like the thing that was fun and was your release all of a sudden becomes pressure.
1: There's always pressure working in music. And I'm trying to formulate how I even feel about this because I'll wake up and like, I feel like some days I'm just like, I'll find myself in moments with artists that I'm working with and just watching them do their thing. And I'm like, you are brilliant. You're one of the best artists in the world. Like, Campbell, Georgia from Broods, Day, Just, they'll do things and just, like, this is my dream project. Someone was asking me, I was hanging out with them, they're like, what's your dream project? And it felt really funny because they were, like, expecting me to say, like, I don't know, maybe for them, like, Rihanna or, like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know, working on bands like Vacations, like, around 8 million monthly listeners... Campbell loves his work. He puts his heart into everything. The whole band are really great people. And we're making a record that the only worry for us is, does this move us as individuals? We're not thinking about how it's going to perform. The manager is thinking about that. That's fine. That's what they're for. Yeah. But we're just like, what do we create that makes us inspired?
0: Yeah. Those are all the best projects I've been a part of. The ones that That's where they come from. The best producers I've always enjoyed working with. That's like the approach that they take. But
1: But sometimes I'm tired and I feel broken. I had that last week. I told an artist, I was like, I don't have perspective this week. My battery is at like 70% and I'm used to being at 90 or 100. And uh, next week I'll have perspective for you.
0: There you go. There you go. You touched on building a tribe, having network, right? Yeah. Do you find that a lot of your network as a producer comes from your days in a band playing and touring and meeting people or are they are they different networks
1: both both i still talk to the person that signed us to our publishing deal greg johnson and now he works at columbia as a vp and i got to like write with noah cyrus and do some stuff with her that didn't come out but it was a great learning experience for me yeah and then there's people that I meet like newest additions to the tribe, my friend, Daniel Che. We used to play in bands that played together but didn't know each other. My friends, Spencer Askin, he's amazing. He's just like one of the best guitar players I know. And he'll step in and help me do MD work or co-produce with me. So just continually meeting people. And when someone feels special or like some connection feels special, Just being forward about it and telling them you're really talented. I really liked working with you, but not ever spitting BS. Right, right. Spitting the BS side of that
0: is an easy way to have a network full of uh, people you don't actually want to work with.
1: Yeah. And people read that shit. Like if you're really thinking you're going to trick someone or you're going to like be inauthentic and still work with like the best artists out there, like most of those artists are very authentic people and they're where they're at because they're highly intelligent and they are really in touch with themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a super high emotional and like social understanding when, when you're making music that's, you know, resonating with millions of people. Yeah. All right. So as usual, we've kind of just ruined my notes here. Let's just do some, some general production, some tips, some ideas. Yeah. You know, I think you might have answered this question, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway, and you can't give me any of the answers you've already given me. Okay. This is speaking to an up-and-coming aspiring producer. Are there skills that you think make a producer irreplaceable in a room?
1: Yes. I was thinking about this on the way here. I felt like you are going to ask me this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there's building blocks, right? It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like if you don't have food or shelter, you're fucked. Like you can't have self-actualization. So if you're building that, and I'm just spitballing here. So the first ones are going to be you need to have an instrument that you're good at. And that instrument can be a computer. Yeah. So you just have to have a way of expressing your idea to the person, even if you're humming or singing. Then I think... Once you start to learn, like maybe a little bit of theory, a little bit of everything. For me, it's, it's it was a little bit of everything. But at the top, when you're actually getting to that place where you're creating art that like maybe there is no other level above it, or you feel like there's no level, it's just communication. Mm. And it's just reading the room and having taste, communication and having taste.
0: That's a good answer, communication and taste. Is there anything that you could share where you realized that that was important, maybe by a misstep? you ever-
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've made so many mistakes. <laughs> I've thought that records were my records, working with artists that I like was really passionate about, and people I still work with today were... You know, maybe three years ago, I was like, in my head, I was taking too much credit. Yeah. And as I stopped taking credit and realizing it's a team effort and that what makes me the strongest producer is having variety and range, then everything changed. Yeah. Because I'm listening to the artist way more. I'm chasing their idea more. I'm letting them play more. And then I just sit back and listen. That's like a
0: form of production that is like rooted in what I would call the old school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I feel like the new school is very much track-based or creating a track in the room with with artists and writers, but it's kind of like one person is the music maker, maybe one or two, maybe a team, but there's there's something being lost on a lot of people that don't get to make music where you have to steer a band because you can't you can't take their instrument away, you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: I think, I wonder if we could formulate this together real quick, because I think this is actually advice that I wish I would have heard a long time ago. Okay. So perspective, how do you create the most perspective for yourself as a producer? So, you know, Vacations is a band. I'm not playing a lot. Zeladay is not a band. I was just emailing the label like, They were asking for liner notes, like, what does everything else mean that you played? I was like, oh, it was, I was bass, I was keys, I was guitars, I was Mellotron, I was everything else. Right. Just not the vocals and drums. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And when doing that, and when you're working with other artists, trying to use yourself as a tool, like, how do I snap in and I'm not the producer anymore? If the artist is in the room, you could just feel their energy if they're excited about something. So using yourself as a studio musician and then going like, okay, I'm going to take a five-minute break, walk outside, come back in, and when I walk back in, I am now in edit mode. Yeah. So that leads me to this one thing that kind of guides my whole creative process, and my friend Barrett Schlegel told me this. He was the first producer we ever worked with. He said, create like a child, edit like a scientist, and detach like a warrior. If you know what step of the creative process you're in within those three, you can make better decisions and make better art. That's really, that's fast. Okay. Can you say that one again? So create like a child. <laughs> yeah.
0: Edit like a scientist. Yep. And detach. Is that? Did you say detach? Yeah. Detach like, like, like a, warrior. a warrior. That one's big. Oh my God. Right? It's I mean, so big. So that's like, that's, that's that secret ingredient that I think a lot of people don't get to.
1: Yeah, and this interview is going to be filled with metaphors because this is how I talk all day long with artists, and I <laughs> and I love it. But, yeah, detached like a warrior, if you're on a climb, if you're on a hike, like if you don't stop and look out and look at the plateau and see where you're at, how the hell are you going to know where you are? So if you keep looking from your own perspective all the time and trying to make something perfect and you can't let go of something – how will you ever see that item on your shelf? And then be able to go like, I'm proud of that. Or that's not the direction I want to go. Yeah. So some people have a hard time detaching. And they have this image of what they want. And sometimes it's the second or third try. It's not the first try that you get it. Yeah. So it's like the second EP or the next single.
0: Yeah. I'm still stuck on Detached Like a Warrior. Because you know... That, you know what that speaks to when you say that? T- it speaks to like perfectionism, which I've kind of battled because I feel like yeah. if you're able to step back and keep perspective like you're talking about and detach, I've never used that word in this context, yeah from like the mix in my case, I feel like you make better decisions. I m- One of my new things as I know I've told you is I now work on everything less. yeah, And I mean, yeah, partially it's because I have a baby, but also it's, I'm just finding I'm getting better and faster results by spending an hour or two on a project moving to another project for an hour or two yeah and then maybe a third project or maybe back to the first one and you have you're fresh and you're not like stuck in like a vocal eq like at the end of the day when you like totally ruin something when you're tired and lost in it you always have perspective so
1: yeah no i i love i love uh, i love that it's good that's cool i like what you said about just working on things less i learned that a when we went to work with Jay Joyce, this really great producer in Nashville, we worked on the Zaladay record with him. And he told me while well, on the phone, <laughs> we were talking, and he's so funny. And I'm like, I have all these notes and all these references, cause we'd been writing and doing pre-production together for like a year. And he's like, that's cool. He's like, I'm like, do you want to see them? He's like, nah, not really. And I was like, what the hell? Like how are you gonna be invested in the record? It's like, dude, we're just gonna have fun. Like and then when we were there, he's just like this older guy and he's just like he's so raw and real and he's just like, we're just capturing fun. Like, don't push people into performances. Don't wait to give people advice. Like, so in my head I have like a, a list. Yeah, but I don't show everybody my list. And then I wait. To be like, okay, it's time for that note. Right. And then I'm like, that note's not relevant anymore. So what's my word count for the day? And like, like shut the fuck up. <laughs> like seriously, and just let the room be the room. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think about
0: times I've worked on projects where like people have been going all, all night. They go home, sleep for a few hours, come back to the studio. And like somebody always wants to start with a list. I'm like, I was listening to it on the way in. I think we got to redo the bass. And I I, I don't like the groove on this and blah, 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 blah. And then realistically, a lot of people probably have those same thoughts. Yeah. But now you've brought this like task list of potential negativity in. When half those things, you're right, are probably going to get resolved because the drummer is going to be like, I don't like the tambourine groove. Let's redo it. Yeah. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. And you probably like, I mean, even, well, I don't speak for you, but like, even with like your baby and finding timing and like how you approach things in life and finding rhythm, it's so important to create an atmosphere that people want to actually be in. Yeah. So Yeah. Your note, like speaking to everybody, your note is usually not that important. Yeah. And what's more important is you connecting with the artist and You helping them see a perspective that you see. And then they'll probably come up with the same notes as you. Right. Right. And then they trust you more.
0: Yep. Yep. Agreed. Okay. So you've kind of touched on studio tricks, one being not sharing your notes.
1: All metaphoric. (laughs) Like there is nothing technical. I'm not going (laughs) to talk about my sooth setting. I
0: could. Is there anything you do either, I don't know, we'll leave it totally open. Yeah. Guitar pedal, production, mix. Is there anything that you do that you think is particularly weird that you love to do that you want to share? Besides use a lot of metaphors and
1: not share your list. I don't know. I steal tricks from everybody I work with. (laughs) Like, or I'm inspired by all the tricks that everybody I work with does. And... If we're not getting weird and we're not feeling like something is like we haven't gone too far, we probably haven't found anything cool. So I'm trying to think. I like can't really pick out gear. <laughs> there's so much gear around us and there's so much gear in our life. Like gear doesn't matter. It's Gear doesn't matter. It's just inspiration points. Like I found a judder pedal that was cool by MWFX, but I could live without it now. I used it on enough records. Am I to that point in my life where I'm like, it doesn't matter? Well, the good news is
0: it's cheaper in that in that space.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I guess, what do I do that's weird? I mean, everybody does it. Run things through car pedals, create loops. I think maybe one of the weirdest things I do is encourage people to waste time. Okay. I like, this is weird. Continue. So, in writing sessions... We're very efficient, by the way, like we'll sometimes I'll get a song done in five hours from writing to like production and be done. Oh, damn. So when I say waste time, it's not really wasting time, but everybody thinks it's wasting time. And I'm like, let's turn the loop station on and do 30 minutes of like sound and record it into the loop. And let's just do 30 minutes of like fun. And I guess wasting time is having fun. Searching for a tone, not making it frustrating, but having everybody playing and jamming, doing all these different things. And we probably, a lot of times I don't use any of it. Maybe I'll use like a snid, snid bit, but I think that's probably the weirdest thing I do is I encourage everybody to have fun and waste time. And then if we have like an hour of productivity in a four hour studio session, I'm stoked. (laughs) But yeah, we just need to be like experimenting. I love that.
0: I love. Have you ever had to uh, figure out a way to rein people back in from fun? Where you're like, oh my God, this is great, but we need to finish this record or we need to get the drums in before eight because the studio is going to end.
1: Maybe a while back, but honestly, like now everybody is so task oriented and all the artists that I'm working with are so great at their perspective that they're like, sometimes they're like, I think we're done. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Problem solved.
0: Problem solved. All right. So before we kind of get into our last couple of questions, I wanted to ask you about, because you've signed a record deal, you have or have a publishing deal. You, you mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for people that, you know, they're just, they want a record deal. They want a publishing deal. Do they really want a record deal? Do they really want a publishing deal? Is it going to be helpful? And Do they need to approach it? Any advice for people that they just think that's going to solve things for them?
1: I'll try to make this concise and like positive. I would say having a record deal and having a team doesn't solve all your issues. You could think about it really simply like, what was your team sport experience like when you were growing up? Mm. Did you have a good coach? Did you have good support? And how did you communicate within that facet of your life? Yeah. because. I know people that have a team and have all these different things that people from the outside want, but maybe their happiness isn't where everybody thinks it is. And then I know people that are creating that have no team, that are creating art that is fulfilling them and making them so happy and asking me like, the record's not even out. And one of the artists is literally asking me, hey, when you get back from Australia, I want to start my next record. And I love her music. That's awesome. Okay, so that was like kind of like the qualitative side. Yeah. The the quantitative side and like the business school side is you are a business. Mm, Yeah. And if your business has no proven track record, just watch Shark Tank. (laughs) Like if your business isn't ready to be sold, don't sell it. You're going to get a shit deal. You're not going to have people around you that are that excited. Like, you might, right? but you're not in a position to have leverage. And even if you're around the best people ever, you need to feel like you can communicate from an equal platform. Mm. Even if they're teaching you things and leading you, the people that you want to be around will talk to you as your equal.
0: Yeah, that is true. There's something... I- was i don't know 20 30 episodes ago talking about this with somebody else and you kind of have to know who you are as an artist before you go and like jump into one of these deals because if you don't you're not going to be treated as an equal and you're going to be you're going to be groomed and and shoved into a mold that you probably want nothing to do with or you'll realize 15 years later that you wanted nothing to do with
1: you might find so much success but then on your next record you might want to change your the way that you go about things and your team is not into it yeah So, yeah, just you do you, be yourself. When your business is ready to be sold, watch Shark Tank at least two of the seasons. And honestly, music is more complicated, but that's kind of how it works. Yeah, You get more of your percentage bought from you. You get less money up front. You have to have a good lawyer. And I would do things different now, but I don't regret it because now I'm in a place where like, I wake up every day and I get to do music. It's a good place to be. Yeah. Good place to be.
0: I did remember while you were talking about business that I wanted to ask you if your background in business intersects your music career at all. Some of the things you said made me think about like branding. Do you ever think about like how an artist is branded or how they might want to present themselves to the world or, you know, obviously bad business decisions are bad business decisions. But is there anything from that business world that you think about regularly?
1: Most definitely in like authenticity. One of the biggest things that was annoying in business school was all these like hot words, like synergy, and all these things that like made no sense because they had no meaning behind them. And it all comes back to just being authentic. Yeah. And finding the language that works best for you to communicate for yourself. And then, on like for the producer side, I have conversations with myself or like sit downs. And I look at how quickly I make a song, not because I want to get quicker, but so I have a understanding of like, okay, how much am I spending in overhead mm. to create art? Now, how do I support being able to have time with every artist that we get to explore? And like, how do I create a system with my management where people don't feel like time is up? Yeah. And and sometimes that's just like working shorter hours with artists and doing like four hour blocks because then everybody's really focused. And then I know I have the bandwidth that I could work two hours before and two hours after. Yeah. If I try to get them in an eight hour session, I'll get the same thing out of them in a four hour session. True. So get them out of the room, do your stuff before and after. And then for myself, take care of yourself more like yeah. with health and other things. And then you'll have more time to explore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, something that you touched on that that I really have just come to just believe in is you have to know, you talked about how long it takes you to make it to finish a production. Yeah, You have to know how long it takes to do the job that you're doing. Yeah. Or you will never know how much work you can take or not take. Yeah. Or really ultimately what you're getting paid. I mean, if it takes you seven months to make a record and
1: you're getting $25,000, it's not a good deal. <laughs> It's, that's a bad place to be. And it's all like, what is it that if you're getting paid that much to make a record, but it's fulfilling and bringing you other work and you also get to work in between on other things. Yeah. So it's all weighing it out in a certain way where you're not chasing the money. You're just looking at it and you right. use it as one data point that may be equal weight or less weight than is the art that I was creating this year better. Are the people I'm around better Yeah. at their art? Do I feel better as a person? And for me, it was listening to my manager when I finally just started listening. <laughs> like the first year I didn't listen. And then she's like, okay, listen. And I told her at the beginning of the year, I'm like, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to do what you were telling me to do. And then I was in the room with Cold War Kids. I'm going to Australia on Monday to do a record with a band that I love. Yeah. All these things started happening. Yeah. And I was not chasing money. No. And you were listening. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to, <laughs> listen to Kelly Musgrave. If Get um, her to manage you.
0: So it, obviously then it sounds like management has been really helpful for you. Do you think that it's helpful for everyone? Or do you think it's just been a good fit? It's the right person in the right time for you.
1: Oh, yeah. What you said. Right person, right time. Yeah. And not everybody's ready to listen. <laughs> yeah. Don't be a part of a team if you're not ready to listen to them. Don't work with people if you're not ready to actually take advice and collaborate. Yeah. A lot of people are not ready. That's true. That's actually,
0: yeah, disturbingly true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but a lot of people are ready.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Totally. So before we go, I've got three questions that I ask everybody now. The first one, kind of a fun one. It's a new question. I don't know if you've heard it. Basically, it's just a music recommendation. Are there any artists or bands that you love that you think more people should listen to or that yes. had a big influence? Oh you got to keep the list like bearable because I got to put links in the show notes. And
1: Yeah, that's fine. Can <laughs> I just get my phone?
0: Yeah. Oh, your phone is your camera.
1: Oh, my phone is my camera. Okay, wait. <laughs> so, okay. Shameless self-promotion. Jackie Marshall. Okay. She's amazing. She's from New York. I'm working with her. And she's just awesome. She won like an ASCAP award. Like, I think in a couple of years she can be big. Lily Joy, she's amazing. We just finished the album. I mean, I love everybody I'm working with. Okay, and then I'll talk about people I'm not working with. Twain, this band from Texas is amazing. Okay. This song called uh, Thank You for Joyce is a song. There's a lot of really good music. Polo and Pan, I sent you that link. I think- Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, the music thing is endless. You know what would be cool is I can make a playlist for you and you could attach it to the link. Let's do that. That sounds more fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So find John's playlist in in the show notes down below. Yeah. And so then the traditional questions that I ask everybody is, uh, was there a time in your career that you chose to redefine what success meant to you? (laughs)
1: Like every other day, like every single day. But no, like, I think every time I get emotional, either when, like, I'm touring with an artist I've worked with or I listen to a song and it just makes me feel so happy, just, I think the redefinition is just make things that I'm going to be proud of 10 years from now. And David Bazan told me that, Pedro the Lion singer. He was playing a backyard show at my friend's house and I was... Fifteen, sixteen, amazing and his parents were there and it was so funny because i love page of the line and i'm like dude like i love music like what advice would you give me and he said that he's like in 10 years from now are you going to be proud of what you're making so throw out that fucking slice sample <laughs> no i'm just kidding uh make something that you're like that has a story
0: yeah That's, that's interesting. I was, I've actually been thinking about a couple of records that I've made over the last 10 years that I always go back to and always have like an impact. And then, yeah, it's just a, it's a nice reminder to have that in your mind of like, am I going to want to hear this again? I mean, you know how it is. Like when you finish a project, like you might not be able to listen to it for a couple of months, but then you go back to it and you're like, this was so much fun to make. And it's just like, you should really,
1: that should be what you have a stack of when you, you know, when you finally, when you, when you leave, like. You know, like we all won't be here forever and we're trying to make art and we're in a privileged position where we have a roof over our head and we get to do these things. So don't treat it lightly. Yeah. Like have fun. Don't take it too serious. But honestly, like put your heart into it. And like, (laughs) here's a lyric thing. Don't write a lyric that you wouldn't tattoo on yourself. Ooh. If it's a shit lyric and you wouldn't put it on yourself, don't write it. But that doesn't mean that somebody else wouldn't tattoo it on themselves. <laughs> true, but, <laughs> but then that's kind of rude. That's, and then we're getting into political things that you and I talk about uh, that shouldn't so,
0: be a part of this show. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, true. True. All we're right. are not so conspiracy theorists. It's Exactly. So, yeah. So, we'll close it out with the usual... Everybody knows uh, what right now is your current biggest goal that you can share with us. And what's the next smallest step you're going to take to go towards that goal?
1: Taking things day by day and really enjoying this Australia trip. And then when I come back, just using that to just be more inspired. Yeah. And keep sharing the knowledge that I learned from the artists I'm working with with other artists. That's and just awesome. be happy. Maybe run more. I like running.
0: It's good. It's good for you. It's good for you. Um, I'm totally going to steal a question from my buddy. Yeah. Who's got a? He's got a podcast called Secret Sonics. Ben Wallach. Everybody should. If you're not listening to Ben's show, checked it out. Then you should. But I think you'd have an interesting. Well, I'm guessing you'd have an interesting answer to this question. Is there anything that you would go back and tell yourself like 10, 15 years ago?
1: Yeah, you're really good. Like you're really good at this. And don't be so hard on yourself.
0: Ooh. Yeah. 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 That's, I think the thing that holds everybody back the most is themselves. Oh, yeah. By far. And the people that end up happy and or successful figure out how to conquer that.
1: Yeah. And, and if you feel like you're that type of person, surround yourself with people that love you. Mm. That will tell you the truth. And I, I truly believe that Kelly, my manager, loves me as a friend. And my day-to-day Chris, like we have love for each other. And the people I work with and the artists I work with that continue to work with, I do love them as my friends.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Dude, this is an awesome hang. Please yeah, uh, tell people, you know, where they can find you if they want to hang out, if they want to make music.
1: Yeah. My Instagram, this isn't John V. And just, or my management is uh, linear management. And if you want to make music together, let's share what we're inspired by and see if we're a good fit. And if I'm not a good fit, I will try to find a friend of mine that's a good fit. Because a lot of my friends are very talented. Awesome. Dude, thank you so much, man. Thanks for being the first in-person interview. It
0: was nice. The nerves went away. Yeah. My camera's recording, right? Yeah, your camera's recording. So is yours. So we made it. Oh, we made it. We made it. Awesome. Okay, cool. Amazing. That's it for episode 89. Thanks to John Velasquez for coming to hang out with us. Thanks to all of you for listening. Also, please don't forget that the best way to support the show is to share it with a friend. So if you can just text a link to this episode to somebody that you think would enjoy it, I would greatly appreciate that. So that's it for today. I will see you all next time.